Scripture. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. It's exciting when different aspects of our worship service all come together. It's not always planned that way. This morning I can say it really wasn't planned that way. But I want you to think about what we have already participated in, in songs and in the Lord's Supper meditation, in prayers. I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. How He left His home in glory. For the cross of Calvary. You think about Jesus and what he did and the thoughts that Kyle shared with us just a moment ago from Genesis chapter 22 and you think about, again, you, it brings it down to a very human level that we can understand and begin to comprehend the love that God had for us in sending his son. Abraham, I want you to offer up your son, your only son, whom you love. Although it's not, it's not perfect. It's not a perfect picture. Because Isaac, Isaac is confused. Isaac says, Dad, I see what's going on here. I I see the purpose. I see the plan, really, ultimately, is we're going to offer a sacrifice to God. Obviously, he'd done that before. We're going over on that mountain to worship. And he left his servants, Abraham did, and, and he and his son went to worship. But on the way, Dad... I see the wood. He's carrying it. I see the wood. I see the fire. I see you got a knife. But something important is missing. Where is the sacrifice? You see, Isaac was in the dark. It seems Isaac didn't know exactly what was going to take place. He didn't know that his father had been commanded to offer him as a sacrifice. And I say it's not perfect because that's not the case with Jesus. Jesus was not in the dark. Jesus was not left to ask His Father, what are we doing? He wasn't left to ask His Father, what's the plan? Jesus, Jesus knew the plan. He knew what was involved. He knew what was coming from the beginning of time. He understood. This morning what I want to do is actually begin somewhat of a series. And the next few times I'm privileged to preach, I want to look at something very specific. I want to look at the phrase, the will of God. I want you to think about that phrase with me. We find it 23 times in the New Testament, the will of God. If you look at times that uh, the Bible talks about will or talks about other ways of talking about God's plan, it's well over 65 times by my count in the New Testament that we find reference to God's will. You know, we, we, we mention that in sermons, and we mention that in Bible classes, and, and we mention that in prayer. God, I want your will to be done. But what does that mean? What does it mean, the will of God? What is that made reference to? Well, I think it's fascinating, as you look in the New Testament, exactly what words are tied to the will of God. Now, this morning, we're going to look at Jesus and His connection to the will of God. But, you know, the Bible connects salvation to the will of God. The Bible connects prayer 
to the will of God. The Bible connects uh, salvation and sanctification to the will of God. And so I think it would be exciting. I hope that it, it will be for you as we study different aspects of the will of God. I want you just to peruse with me for a moment as we look at Jesus and His connection to the will of God. And my friend, really what I want to do this morning is to deepen your love for Jesus. I want to deepen your appreciation for what He knew and what He was willing to do for you. That's what I want to do this morning. I hope this is exciting for you as we study this together because it is exciting for us to think about God having this great masterful plan to bring about our salvation and Jesus and His willing response to it. I want to begin by just looking through the gospel accounts. If you start with me in Matthew chapter 6, I hope you have your Bibles. I hope you'll open them or pull it up on your phone or electronic device and, and go through this with me. In Matthew chapter 6, we see the familiar words of Jesus. His Sermon on the Mount is being recorded. And, and He says these words in verse number 9, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus makes reference to the will of God right here at the beginning of His ministry as we have recorded for us in Matthew's account. And He says, Father, I want Your will to be done. When we pray, we would do well to remember that it's not my will that needs to be accomplished. That it's not my plan that needs to be done. When we think of, of the will, we need to think about God's pleasure. We need to think about saying things like, God, I want whatever You intend to be done. That's what I want to be done. I want Your purpose to be accomplished. I want Your design to be done. Your will. I want Your will to be done and not my own. Of course, you can read those words also in Luke chapter 11 and verse 2. And as Brother Jared read for us a moment ago, we see Jesus praying in the garden, Father, not my will but your will be done. You know, if it's your will that this cup be removed from me, please let that come to pass. But not my will, but your will be done. You see Jesus in His connection to the will of God. Now, turn with me to the book of John. More could be said, but turn to the book of John, and I just want to remind you how the book of John begins. These are familiar words probably to you, but it doesn't hurt anything, does it, to read it again from your copy of God's Word? In John chapter 1, in verse 1, John records, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And the Bible says in chapter 1, in verse 14, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. You see... John's whole gospel account is centered on one thing. Jesus being the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He is the one that promised in the Old Testament. He is the Son of God. He is God. That's why John is writing. And so I find it fascinating that there is a phrase that John continues to repeat throughout this gospel account. Be reminded that he says, I'm proving to you that Jesus is the Christ. I'm proving to you that Jesus is God. And there's this, this phrase that he continues to repeat, and it's connected to God's will. In John chapter 4, the 
Bible tells us that he and his apostles, the disciples, they were traveling. They were going up to Nazareth, and they traveled through uh, Samaria. And the Bible says that he sent his disciples to get food. In verse number 8, they have gone away to get food, and he sat down next to a well, and he engages in a conversation with this woman at the well. And over the course of the conversation, she begins to understand that this could possibly be the Christ. And so she leaves Jesus and she goes into town to tell people, look, I think we found him. I think he's here. I think I was talking to him. And as she leaves, the disciples return. And the Bible says in verse number 31 that in the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I keep mentioning there's this phrase in the book of John that connects back to John chapter 1 and verse 1. You know what it is? It's the word sent. Who sent me. And I want you to see that. It's there in John chapter 4 and verse 34. And it's connected to Jesus and the will of God. I was sent by Him to do His will. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me. You see it? Now look at chapter 5 and verse number 30. Jesus says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. See it? Now go to chapter 6. Look at verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This, verse 39, is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all He has given me I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up at the last day. And this, verse 40, is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, but I will raise Him up at the last day. You see, Jesus understood something. I have come to accomplish that which God, my Father, sent me to do. He's not in the dark. He's not asking, what's the plan? He's not curious and scratching his head and saying, I don't get it. Father, I see wood and I see fire and I see a knife. What's the plan? He knows the plan. And I have come to do the will of of Him who sent me. There's not a question in His mind of what He has come to accomplish, is there? I have come to do the will of Him who sent me. Look at chapter 8 and verse number 29. We don't see the will of God spelled out in those words, and yet it is there. In John chapter 8 and verse 29, And He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. I do His will. He sent me. And I always do those things that please Him. I do His will. Look at chapter 9 and verse 4. Jesus said, I must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming in which no one can work. You see it? It's there so clearly, isn't it? I know what I'm doing here. I have come to accomplish His will. I've come to do His work, to accomplish His purpose, to fulfill His design. He sent me to do this. 
Jesus and his connection to the will of God. And that is why in John chapter 19 and verse 30, before breathing his last, Jesus would cry out, It is finished. What's finished? The work that he sent me to do. The will that I was sent to accomplish. It is finished. I've done it. I'm telling you, that should cause you pause. It should cause us pause to think about what Jesus came to do. To understand that when He left, He knew exactly what He was coming to do. He knew exactly that He was coming to do His Father's will. But I'm telling you, uh, as much or more, it should cause you to pause to understand that God even had a will. How about that? God had a will. God had a design. He had purpose to bring about our salvation. It really is something we would do well to contemplate more. To really pause. You know those difficult days when your health isn't good and, and things just don't seem to be going right and, and you, you, boy, you just don't feel good and things around you just seem to crumble a little bit. Wouldn't you do well just to pause for a minute and say, you know what? At the end of the day, God had a will. God has a will. He has a plan. He has purpose. He has design. And this whole world, she's going to go away. But God had a design for me. He has a will to bring him out my salvation. The pause that that should come to know that Jesus came to do his Father's will, to do what brought him pleasure. That's what he came to do. There's so much that we could talk about in Jesus and his connection to the will of God. And, you know, this sermon could be a really, really long one, but it's not going to be. Because I just want to look at one more context with you, actually. I, just, I hope this will help kind of bring together what I really want to talk about. And, and again, in future times, we're going to be discussing more aspects concerning the will of God, God's plan to bring about our salvation. But it all has to start with Jesus. It all starts and stops, ultimately, with what Jesus has done for me. And if I can get my mind really wrapped around the fact that God had a will, a plan in bringing about my salvation, and Jesus was willing to come and fulfill that plan, then, then ultimately, whatever God wants me to do, I'll do. But it starts with this. It starts with understanding what Jesus came to do for me. It starts with, with understanding that the Father had a plan to bring about my salvation. And everything else will take care of itself when it comes to doing the Father's will. Hebrews chapter 10 is where I want you to go. And I want you to, to really be serious with me. I hope that you'll do your best to put away distraction for a minute. And that you will just really focus here on this text. I want to begin in verse number 1 in Hebrews chapter 10. And the writer of Hebrews again is, is concerned with the fact that folks who have left Judaism, that is, they've come out from under the old covenant, the Mosaic law, are now contemplating a return to Mosaic law. And the whole book of Hebrews is ultimately telling these people that you need to never, ever leave Jesus. You can't leave Jesus and be found in a right relationship with God ever again. And so you need to stay with Jesus and you need to stay with His law. And he begins to point out the, the faults that are found ultimately under the law of Moses. 
Verse number one says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. I just want you to know that that he says, first of all, I want you to know that the law of Moses was never the real McCoy. It's never the real deal. It's only a shadow of the real deal. He said that that law was only pointing to the cross. As soon as Jesus came and sacrificed himself, he said that's a shadow. It's not the real thing. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19 The Bible says that the law was put into place until the seed should come. The law of Moses was never intended to be permanent. It was there put in place because of of man's transgressions, but it was there to bring us ultimately to Christ. And so that's a point that he's making in verse 1. It's only a shadow. It's not the real thing. Verse 2. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered these sacrifices under the law of Moses? If they could really make you perfect, would they have not ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. This isn't real complicated, is it? I mean, those first four verses, it's not, it's not ultimately that, that complicated. It's the writer of Hebrews saying, look, you know that under the law of Moses, these sacrifices, they had to be offered all the time. There were daily offerings that had to be made, and there were weekly offerings that had to be made, and there were monthly offerings that had to be made, and there were yearly offerings that had to be made. And the point is that if those blood sacrifices could have removed sin, they wouldn't have to be offered like that. If they could really remove sin, then they don't have to be offered like that. But they couldn't. Something else was necessary. Right? This is the will of God. This is God's plan being in motion. This is God ordaining Jesus from before the foundation of the world, having a plan to bring about our salvation. But he says it was never there under the old law. Verse number five. Pay attention, please. Therefore, when he, who's he? That's Jesus. When he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, speaking to his father, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come, Jesus says, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will. O God, continue, previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law, the law of Moses. And then he said, Behold, Jesus says, I have come to do your will, O God. And takes away the first, that he may establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Pay attention. This is good stuff. Not because I can do it any justice at all, but because of what it says. The Bible says that 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 remission of sins was not found in those offerings of the old law, but there is forgiveness found in the offering of Jesus. But This is what it says about Jesus. 
I love Genesis chapter 22. I am so glad that Kyle brought that out. But I, I really appreciate the fact that we can see this from a human standpoint of Isaac in the dark and Jesus very much not in the dark. I want you to see this with me because this is important for us to understand. The Bible says in verse number 5, Jesus understood that sacrifice and offering you did not desire, that those animals could not remove men's sin. Jesus got it. But he says, a body, a body you prepared for me. Get this. A body you prepared for me. Jesus knew he was coming, didn't he? He knew that he was coming in the flesh. He knew that he was going to be born of a virgin. He knew that he was going to be raised in that home. He knew that he would come to grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Luke 2 and verse 42 or 52. He knew, he knew what was coming in his life. He knew what that body was going to go through. He knew what that body was going to experience. He knew that that body was going to suffer starvation. He knew that body was going to suffer, uh, go through love and appreciation for men who he would call friends who would later depart from him. He knew that that body would see a friend of his betray him ultimately. He knew that that body of his that God prepared was going to be spit on and beaten. And a crown of thorns was going to be placed on that head. He knew what he was going to experience. He knew what that body was going to go through. He knew that that body was going to be nailed to a cross. He knew that he was going to experience that pain. He knew he was going to feel every moment in that body. And that's why, that's why when I keep reading, and I see that in verse number 5, that, that you prepared a body for me, that this is what Jesus says. I want you to see, friends, that that's exactly what we have in verse number 7. It's, I hope you can see it. I hope you understand it. Maybe I can do it a little bit of justice. But, but it's as if when God says, this, here's your body. It's as if Jesus then responds with these words in verse number 7. Then I said, behold, I have come, as it was written of me in the old law, to do your will Oh God, will you break that down with me just for a second? Just humor me, please. So God says, here's your body. I've got this body prepared for you. Jesus says in verse number 7, then. The Bible says, follow with me, please. Verse number 7, then. Then is a reference to time. And the picture is, in my mind at least, and I think it's, it's true what the text says, that when this body was prepared for me, right then, right then. You see that? There's no hesitancy. When you prepared that body for me, right then, right then I'm ready to go. You see, how he left his home in glory to bear the cross of Calvary. I think I would hesitate, don't you? I think I'd say, wait, you know, wait, wait a minute. Really? Are you sure this is the plan? Are you sure this is your will? Are you positive that this is the way it has to go? 
Jesus said, I'm ready right now. Then. Then I said, you see it? Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 7. Then I said. You see, no one's speaking for him, is he? No one is speaking for Jesus. Jesus says, then I said. Now look, no, no one is, is pushing me here. No one is forcing me to leave glory. No one is forcing me to leave this heavenly home. I will go of myself. No one spoke for him, but he said of himself, and it's as if he is speaking this before he leaves heaven. As soon as that body is prepared for me, right then I said, what? Behold. You see it? Behold. That's a great word. Behold. That's an attention-grabbing word. Behold. Hey, stand up and pay attention because I'm about to say something. Behold. I'm grabbing you for a minute. I want the angels to bear witness to what's about to take place. I want man to know what I'm coming to do. Behold. Oh, it's a attention-grabber. Then, right then, I said, Behold. What? I have come. It's best stated in the present tense. I have come. It's not something of the past, and it's not something waiting on in the future. I come. Again, it's personal. That's our second personal word in verse number 7, isn't it? Behold, I come. I said, behold, I come. No one is speaking for me. I'm not sending somebody else. I'm not looking for a substitute. Me, myself, I am leaving heaven and I am putting on that body that you prepared for me. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do what? To do your will, O God. I have come to do your will. Though it requires my leaving heaven, though it requires suffering, though it requires a sacrifice, I'm coming to do your will, O God. That's a picture I want you to have of Jesus in your mind. That's a picture I want to think about every day. I want to picture Jesus without hesitancy saying, I'm going. I want to picture Jesus every day saying, I don't, I don't know, or I don't care what all is involved in this. I know what's coming, but I'm going. Because that's your will. I will do your will. Let me ask you this. Was there any other way to bring about your salvation other than Jesus coming? The answer is no. If Jesus doesn't come, there's no other way. You know why? Because this is the will of God. This is the plan. There is no backup. There is no plan B. This is the plan. And Jesus said, I am delighting to do your will. No one's forcing me. I'm coming without hesitancy to do your will. I am happy to bring peace between you and man. I am happy 
I'm happy to see your saving grace be made available to all mankind. Titus 2 and verse 11. I'm happy to do your will. I'm happy to do what you need me to do. And so I see the results of Jesus and his joy and his, un- his willingness without hesitancy to come on my behalf and yours to die on the cross for our sins. The Bible says in verse number 10 again, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. <laughs> the results of Jesus' obedience is my sanctification and yours as a Christian. You're being set apart from all the rest who are lost to be in a peaceful, right relationship with the Father. How about that? By this will, we have been sanctified. There's no other way to be made right with God other than Jesus. In chapter 10 and verse 14, the Bible says, For by one offering He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. In verse number 17, then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. You see, Jesus needed to do it once for all. And now all can be forgiven of their sin. This is the will of God. That's what Jesus came to do. And I can be forgiven of my sin. In Acts 22 and verse 16, Saul, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sin. How could his sin be washed away? Only through the blood of Jesus. Revelation 1 and verse 5. We're washed in his blood. Jesus came to do the will of his Father. Will you accept that one offering as all sufficient for you? Will you see what Jesus came to do for you? And will you respond as you should in obedience? Listen, friends, I'm telling you that if we can get this in our minds and we can understand the will of God, that God always had a plan to bring about our salvation, and we can see Jesus and His perfect obedience to the will of His Father, well, He's our perfect example. I'm telling you, there should be no reason for us to be unfaithful. No reason for us to turn our backs on Him and walk away. There's no reason for us not to come running into His arms. Because what Jesus has done for us, I don't want to be left to do my own will. I don't want to attach myself to anything of this old world. I want to attach myself to God and to His will, and I want to do what He says I must in order to be right in His sight. Because of what Jesus has done, you can be made right today. And so the invitation of our Lord is extended to you. He says, come, and so do we. Do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you willing to make that confession? To repent of sin in your life, to turn away from that which is against the will of God, to serve Him and to do His will, to obey Him. Are you ready this morning to do His will by being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins? But your sins can be forgiven today. How about that? That's because Jesus came and He did the will of His Father. We would love to rejoice with you as you come out of those waters to walk in newness of life. 
This morning, if we can help you in any way, maybe you're a child of God who has wandered away. Maybe you have turned your back. Maybe you've not been thinking so much about Jesus and what He came and did for you. Maybe there's something amiss in your life that you need to make right. Well, that opportunity is afforded to you right now. Maybe there's something in your life that you just need your brethren to be praying about. And you can make that known also right now. If we can help you, that's all we want to do. Will you come to Jesus now as together we stand and sing?